Welcome to Rockstar Today, the podcast that helps musicians quit their day jobs. Show notes can be found on rockstartoday.com forward slash podcast. You will also find a link to sign up to the Rockstar Today Backstage Pass Facebook group. And now your host, Randall. Welcome to Rockstar Today, the podcast that helps musicians quit their day jobs. Today, I'm very excited that we have Jamie Roberts. Now, Jamie Roberts is the founder of For The Win Media. She has over 25 years of experience. So we think she started at the age of two. But she has experience in publicity, marketing, artist relations, event planning, talent booking, and even this one I found was really interesting, coordinating philanthropic efforts for her clients. She's called the ninja for her clients. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you for having me. I, I love the premise of this show and I'm glad to be here. The times have changed. You have been in the music business long enough that you've seen massive changes. You work with some of the biggest rock stars in the world. I mean, uh, you've worked with Motley Crue, Judas Priest. Uh, I saw Jane's Addiction. So many, mm-hmm. so many big clients and and things are changing. The, the whole landscape is completely different. So it's really interesting to talk to somebody that's got that history behind them and can see what's going forward. You know, I think you have a vision of where things are going uh, and I, we want to talk about that. Yeah. I like to start when I interview bands and I'm going to do the same thing with you. I like to start back at your childhood. You know, maybe there's a time when you were a young child. Picture yourself a young child. You're flipping through your parents' album collection. Is there My a... parents actually didn't have a collection. They weren't big music fans. Okay, I thought I read that about that, you. But is there, for me, it was an uncle. Was there a song or a band that just kind of hit you differently and you said, like, this is my music? Well, to answer that exact question, uh, ministry was it for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, when I was younger, when I was in my early teens. Was it like every day is Halloween or post every day? Yeah. Yeah, Every Day is Halloween ministry kind of set me on the path. But actually what really set me on the path with a, was a movie called The, the Idol Maker. Maker. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very cheesy 80s movie, but it reinforced the fact that there were people behind the scenes in music and you didn't necessarily have to have musical talent to be involved in the industry, which I do not, I cannot sing, I cannot play an instrument, I, I, I have zero musical talent. But, you know, that movie just thrilled me. And ever since I was 13, I think it came out when I was 13, ever since I've had like a record on my birthday cake every year. So. And that's, it's interesting because we connect on so many levels because I am also not a musician. I was a DJ for 25 years. So I love music, but I'm not a musician in any sense of the word, uh, but I have to be involved in some way. So this is my way of doing it. So, yeah. But you, you kind of started, like in 1994, you started as an EA, an executive assistant. Uh, and then three years later, in 97, you kind of got into the business at Roadrunner Records. So what are some memories that you have from that maybe? Well, when I really started was way before that, I had an internship when I was in college. I went to college in upstate New York 
And back then we had the Village Voice in, in oh, yeah. New York City and they had internship ads and the ad said, do you like hip hop and alternative music? Fax your resume. That's all it said. And I was like, what the heck? I'll fax my resume. That company I wound up interning for for two years and most of the jobs I have ever gotten in the music industry come from someone that worked there at the time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It wound up being a, a company that had the Beastie Boys, Public Enemy, Tribe Called Quest, uh, and a lot of alternate, like I think The Cure was a client at the time. And I got a really great view of how things work because I was really gung-ho, so they let me come to everything. <laughs> yeah. So even fly during, on the wall. That would have been fun. Oh, my gosh, it was. And, you know, I was a big Public Enemy fan at the time, and I got to spend a lot of time with Chuck. It really showed me that I was going in the right direction. One of the biggest things that you do or your, the value that you bring to the table is the connections you've made along all those years. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I went from there. When I first graduated college, they were like, oh, my God, it's going to be impossible to find a job. So take the first job you get. So I was working for Edwin Schlossberg and only and that's Caroline Kennedy's husband. <laughs> and I only got the job because he saw how I wrote for music magazines and liked my my record reviews, <laughs> um, even though the, the job had nothing to do with music. And then I kind of came back through publishing. I worked at Musician Magazine in the uh, circulation department, and that's how I kind of got back in. When I made the move from being an assistant, and I was an assistant to the woman that ran the company I had the internship at, I was like, can you give me advice? She's like, here's your advice. I need an assistant. Come work for me. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> so I, I made the move. The company was closing down that I was at, the Enclave. It was a joint venture between Virgin and EMI. And we were spending a ton of money. It was run by the guy that discovered Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and all of that. That's and your Motley Crue connection now, I know. Actually, no. No, really? Enough. Yeah. Later on, I was like hooking him back up with the band. <laughs> but it's funny how things come back around in your life like that. But, you know, when I went to interview at Roadrunner, the label I was at was going out of business. I didn't want to be an indie. Roadrunner was the only job that was kind of out there at the time. And I went in to interview and the owner said to me, so do you like metal? And I said, no, but I know who would. You know, I know how to reach them. I don't have to like it. Doesn't matter what I like. And he said, "That's a good answer." <laughs> you know. One thing I liked about your resume too is somewhere along the line you were at the Eleven Seven Music, and one of the things you did was crisis PR when needed. Oh, I, I do that for everybody actually. But I've actually been at two different companies twice. I was at Roadrunner twice. I was there from '97 to 2001 and then 2003 to 2006. I'm the perfect example of why you never burn bridges. And I was at 11.7 slash Better Noise twice also. 
and like all through i mean crisis communications it ranges from like your artist got pulled over by the cops for a dui last night and how do you handle it to like press is calling about tommy lee's reaction to the tommy and pamela you know series that's coming up you know and it's how you handle it you know and how you make the best of a bad situation and it is part of what i do all the time I would assume that it's all, you also want to you want to protect your artists, but also take advantage of the, you know that that the, the, you know bad publicity is good publicity sometimes. I don't know if I agree with that so much. I I tend to if it's bad, tell them not to respond. Hmm. You know, sometimes it's best just not to engage, and a lot of bands go through that. It's not only big bands. You know, it's. Iced Earth, for instance, that's like a, a more niche metal band. And that guy was in the riots in Washington, D.C. on the 6th <laughs> of January. And it was crazy. And like everybody is against him now. And it's like, what do you do in a situation like that? If you want to distance yourself from someone, what do you do if you want to support someone like David Ellison from Megadeth? Like, he got let go from Megadeth, but he's got a stellar reputation in the industry. And he's a very nice guy. I've met him before. I just have a feeling this was like misunderstood. But you know, what do you do even in that situation? You know, it could be a number of things. But you know, I think that it's really important to say, if I respond, is it going to fix things? Is it going to help anyone? You know, if not, there's just no reason to. Just fuel to the fire. Yeah. But 2020 was the big year. That's that's the one where you were the founder of For the Win Media. And that's where you are now. What motivated you to start your own communications agency? It's actually the second time I did it. I like being an in-house employee. I like working for someone else because of the whole finances thing, because I'm terrible with that. So... <laughs> I had started this, you know, to be on my own doing stuff for a number of years. And I had a couple of people working for me at the time. But then I went back in house at 11.7 for their rebrand to Better Noise. And I was there for a year. It was all of 2020, actually, that I was there. And then I just restarted this again. But I'm just, it's just me. It, it's not like a whole company, really. It's just me because, I don't know, I'm a control freak. I like doing things a particular way. Sometimes um, small is good because you, you don't lose touch with what's happening. Believe me, I can't if I want to. Um, you know, I my clients have an inordinate amount of contact with me. Let's put it that way. Of course, your work now is probably more you know, on the PR side. Am I correct? Yeah, it's on the PR side, a little bit of marketing. I had a client recently where I did everything but name the band. I got them a distribution deal. I got them their album, the guy that designed their album art. I got them a video director. I got, you know, so it's, and it's really a function of me having been in the business so long that even if it was something, not something that I did, I knew who did it. Like the guy that I always recommend to do the art was my art director at Roadrunner. Okay. 
I have people who are great and know what they're doing and I recommend them to people. Let's talk about the premise that you're running a company, you're looking for artists. We know that in business, having a unique selling proposition is very important. How does that work for bands? What are you looking for in a band? I have been really fortunate that I haven't had to look much. When you do right by everyone during your career, they come back. So what's cool is like most of the people I'm working right now were referred to me by a manager I worked with or an artist I worked with prior. I think that the thing that would prevent me from working with someone is you have to have one of like this menu of things to really need PR because some people don't need it. If you have a following on socials, it needs to be a certain level. What would be that level? Just I mean, I would say about 50,000 to start. So at least there's some momentum because the thing is the things I do, if you post them on socials, who's going to see them? Yeah. And really it's this exchange between you and the magazine where I say my band's fans are going to come read the article that you do on them. But if there's no fans, like what's the, the value proposition, you know? So that, but then you say, Jamie, you're a liar because you have two bands that have zero following and haven't even started socials yet. I've done that. One of the bands, Monarch, had a guy from Red Sun Rising and two guys from Wilson in it. So those were bands that had followings and I knew the minute they put out socials, they would have a following. Mm-hmm. And this other guy that I'm working with now his group is Noble Poets, and they're putting up their social soon. But his story is so compelling that I can't wait to tell it to people. I mean, that's to me, that's important. Uh, I'm a writer, so I write for Montreal Rocks. Uh, mm-hmm. I do a lot of interviews, and I look for the story. If yeah. I, even if it's only for me, I want to write something interesting. I want to have people that are interesting, and I, I talk to a lot of musicians and I'm able to have good conversations, but not all, not everybody opens up, but for the most part, I think a lot of musicians are, they're they're into their feelings. They're, we talk about dark stuff. Sometimes I've released stories about sexual abuse and things like that delicately because it's very important and showing a lot of respect, but uh, you know, allowing them to have a voice and, and tell their story in a way that they control a, a little bit of the narrative. So we're not sensationalizing it, but it's a story and it's a compelling and then you, you feel much closer to that, that artist, especially for the fans, because they, they get to see them as being real and not just some sort of vague person on Spotify. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of good journalism. I'm a big fan of a good story. Like, I, I'm friends with a lot of journalists whose writing I've read for years and years. Because I'm a big fan of journalism and because... I read a tremendous amount. I try and create a narrative with a client. If it's just, I make good music, that's not enough anymore. No, you look for angles, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have to pull out at least two angles for every client, you know? And there's many reasons why people might wanna cover somebody. So, you know, you have to figure that all out before you start. And I always say to people, 
a lot of times I find a band doesn't know their own story. True. Like I'll talk to them for an hour and they'll be like, well, my story is blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, it's not. What you told me before is your story. Picking out that story is more of a talent than people think it is. That's one of the things I love doing in this job. I think one of the things you've said in the past was that your superpower is perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, I try not to take things that I'm too passionate a fan of because it's not about what I like. Just like I told the people at Roadrunner, it's not about what I like. It's about what other people like. And that perspective is from the like, why should I care angle? Why do I, as a, a magazine editor or a TV booker, like, why do I want you on my show? And if the answer is I don't, or I don't know, I then know. I wouldn't be That's working worse. person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'd I rather hard out. know than I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But like, you have to figure out why. That's, that is the core of everything. Okay, so let's say somebody's working with you, a band is working with you. One of the first things you do is find their, their story, that their, their angles, why, they, why they're interesting. Yeah. Uh, what's the next thing you do with them? The next thing I do with them is I take them through how you speak about that. It might be a campaign based on the fact that you were in recovery and you lived a rough life, but now you've made your life better and you want to spread the word about that. But there's ways to put it. It's about framing your truth in a way that people can understand. So you have to figure out how to, how to talk about yourself. What is going to speak to people about your story? You know, how, how people might understand it better. And of course you can coach them on how to kind of navigate those waters and, and make sure that they, they don't take something that's like a positive story and turn it into a negative. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's a danger. And, and then actually the danger I encounter the most is being too verbose. Like uh, I remember the band Nothing More that I used to work with when I was at 11.7, who are one of my favorite bands. I would talk to the singer and he would give me a half hour long answer and I would convert it into two sentences. And he'd be like, oh, but the way I would do it would be, okay, what I understand you to have said is this. And I said, am I right? Do I understand you correctly? And if I was, then we could move on to the next thing. Yeah. I, I feel you because I'm, I'm a writer and I sometimes get really lengthy answers, which I cannot use all of it, uh, but yeah. I do dilute it and I try to keep the essence of what they said. And, and the, so far, so good. But uh, it, is, it is tough because people have short attention spans and you can't go on for half an hour on a one question. But then yeah. again, I ask questions in a way to get a story. That's my, that's my main goal. I, I like when bands will tell me a story, not just a yes or no answer. So I'll craft my questions in a way to get a story. And that to me is very important because if I don't give them good oh. questions, they're not going to give me good answers. And this isn't about the stories. This is about making your main point. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you're going to tell a million stories and be as verbose as you want about those. But there is a main point that you have to make in the course of this interview. And Interesting. It has to be understandable and it has to be succinct. What do you need people to know about you? 
I'm know, finding this fascinating because I'm I'm the writer, so you're kind of telling me what they should be doing with me, and I don't see that all the time, to be quite honest. You know, not everybody gets it, but when they do, it's really exciting for me. <laughs> like the Nothing More guys really got it and really appreciated it, and I think you know it takes serious consideration of what you're doing in press. Like, it's not just like, oh, cool, people want to talk to me. It's like, no, you have to get a certain message across. Anything above and beyond that, great. But, you know, the message is, this is who I am, this is why you will like what I do, and this is where you can find what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the latest single, and, you know. Yeah, yeah. And maybe don't just say the single, because nobody will remember the name. Obviously, sometimes people have to be creative to get on people's radars. Mm -hmm. There's the whole impression thing. Sometimes you have to see people 10 times before you click on their link. But yeah. let's talk about creativity. Are, are there any bands or stories that you can share of somebody being really creative that got on your radar? They just say, wow, I, I'm curious now. I think the more productive answer to that <laughs> would be, you know, the things that I do to help them get attention. Because to me, you just email me and I either like it or I don't. But um, you had mentioned philanthropy. Now, I use that as a win-win. I work with artists on causes that are close to their hearts. So it's an authentic thing. And they use their platform to promote the cause. And the cause uses their platform to promote the artist. I guess I keep using nothing more as an example, but there was a song called Jenny and it was about the singer's sister who was bipolar and wouldn't take her medication. So we worked with a mental health organization, did this hashtag campaign, I know Jenny. And like we were talking about like people in your life struggle with mental illness and recognize it and appreciate it and cut them some slack for it you know so that was a win-win in a big way and they've had a long-term relationship with this foundation called the jed foundation and i've had a relationship with them ever since i met them through this and then you know there's a lot of artists that have gone through addiction and recovery mm -hmm. their recovery story can inspire so many people there's a band called escape the fate and the singer actually got sober during quarantine. Oh. And that is hard, you know, um, and he did it. And I was so proud of him and, and we were working together and I was like, you got to share, you know, how it happened. Yeah, that's interesting right away. All right, so using philanthropy is one thing. Using gaming is another thing. Okay. Twitch is huge for artists. Twitch is a wonderful tool. I know you have a show on Twitch. I did. I, I haven't done it in a while. I'm, I'm going to start it back up again, but... It's on pause. It's on pause. Yeah, it's on pause. <laughs> but people game with their fans there. And, you know, I always tell bands, like, each band member should have office hours on Twitch. You <laughs> should go on the same time every week, talk to whoever shows up, you know, and people know when they can find you on there. And that's also a really unique way to reach your fans. There's like Jackbox games where you can play, everybody plays on their phone and you can play games with your fans. Like it, 
it's a level of contact that people don't usually have with artists. And if you can do that, then I, you're going to form some connections that are really active and really, you know, beneficial. I don't know if you've heard about the thousand true fans theory. Yes, I was just about to mention that. That's the premise of my show. That's what got me into this. I find that that's exactly one of the things you can do to get that connection, that deep connection to get that 1000 fans. Yeah. And, and engagement with the fans is, is the essential part of it. And engagement, if you don't put the work in, you're not going to get it. It's a two way street. really. Sorry, there's crazy drivers in Queens, apparently. But yeah, so if you don't put in the work, you're not going to reap the rewards. And a good way to put in that work is face to face, like on Twitch, on like, there's this new uh, virtual world called Nowhere. I got like a free trial to it because I know the people that set it up. It's really cool. Like you go in and you're like a picture of you this big, but you're running around in a virtual world. I do meet and greets with my bands that way. So they can be in the same room as their fans and talk to them, but they're on their computer at home. Yeah. I mean, because of the pandemic too, people are finding new ways to connect and it's, it's going to be very important because even the concerts that are happening are very small. Uh, so yeah. that face-to-face -face is becoming less and less. And that's so, it's like the lifeblood of a band to make deep connections. I mean, uh, if I can talk to a, an artist, I'm most likely going to buy their album, especially if they can sign it. I collect signed vinyl. So I'm going to go to the show. I'm going to come back with the signed vinyl, put that in my collection. I'm happy. And I've contributed at least to the, a little bit to the financial success of the band. And, yeah. but they need to do that more and more. Like to shirt. You know, yeah. I, I remember I worked with the Dillinger Escape Plan and they were a particularly clever band. They made limited edition merch all the time and sold out like that. That was really smart on their part. Merch is boring to me sometimes. Well, they would do something wild like yeah. socks, socks to benefit the environment, like, or, you know, just something wild. And like, I, I'm tired of seeing beanies, t shirts, and CDs. Yes, those have to be there but get creative i remember it was uh emily metric she had her own uh solo show and she had her own perfume uh it was very expensive it was almost like a hundred dollars or 75 dollars but i said that's 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 fantastic because it's it's really going taking merch to a whole new level and people can get like the scent or they she even had a those sticks that you burn for incense incense yeah Wow. Branded by her. So I got a website, which I'm not using yet, but if anybody wants it, talk, come talk to me. I, I like to give, don't worry. But it's creativebandmerch.com because I just find that people need to have a little bit more creativity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know people that do custom branded stuff for companies and for bands. And I know a guy who does custom Funko Pops can make it look like anybody. So, you know, I mean, that, yeah, I got one for my nephew for his birthday when he was six, I think. Yeah, he was a big Harry Potter fan. So I got him as Harry Potter. Uh, let's go back a little bit. I'm just going <laughs> to re resume. A band first should work on their story, their angles, why they're interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to kind of work on that social media, make those deep connections. And you, yeah. you mentioned great tips on how they can do that. We kind of want to also talk about 
what should they not do? What's what's like a big ban faux pas that you've seen that really talking about politics, talking about religion, talking in absolutes in any way. Like you want everyone to be your fan. You want to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. You don't want to alienate people. So there's no reason to talk about what you don't like, what you don't think is true. Talk about be positive. And if you, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't go online. You yeah. know, and I know like online is full of negativity. I mean, I had to cancel my Twitter account because I couldn't handle people like that. Just try and be your best self when you're online representing your music. We talked about the thousand true fans. If you haven't listened to episode one, you, you might not know it, but it's, it's basically to make a living in this business. If you can find 1000 people that can net you a hundred dollars a year, you're on your way to at least be able to quit your job. Yeah. You might not make a lot of money, but it'll hopefully pay the rent and you'll be able to do something you love. That's basically the term. And you do that by having these deep relationships, deep connections, and really finding ways to, and it's not about making money from your fans, but giving them things that they want. You know, I I love buying vinyl. I love buying special edition vinyls or special colored vinyls. That to me is, was what I personally enjoy for somebody else. It might be uh, different. Some people have lithographs at their shows, you know, for every city. Even when you're online, when some people go, here's choice A, here's choice B, which do you like better for our album art? If you give them a stake in what you're doing, they're more apt to, number one, spread the word, and number two, be there for the long haul. So if there's a band that is not at the point where they need a PR firm, what are some of the low-hanging fruit? What are some of the things that they can do uh, today to kind of try to get some traction whether it's social media or, or even getting some shows booked. Anything that you can suggest? There's a few things. One is Submit Hub. It is the enemy of every publicist, but I have to say, if you're not ready for real publicity, it's something worthwhile to do for yourself. You put in a very small amount of money and it guarantees you that the magazine will listen to what you send. It doesn't guarantee you they'll cover it. It guarantees you they'll listen and you'll get feedback. There's some Spotify playlists on there. There are some websites on there, some magazines on there. And if you go and you send it to people that you feel would like it, and it tells you what kind of music they look for and get that feedback, you'll at least know where you're starting from. I find that very interesting. Let's talk about money. Because mm-hmm. obviously a lot of bands don't have money. That's the biggest That's, issue. Submit Hub is like 10 bucks. No, but, but we, I, wanna, I need to talk about money because the, like I said earlier, the way we met is because of a post that you posted about how somebody was trying to get you to submit their article and they were surprised when you were charging a fee. Yeah. <laughs> Before I let you comment on that, I'm going to give you my perspective as a writer. Now, if a publicist uh, like like you or Paula or some of the other publicists that I work with, if they send me a band, I know that that band has invested something to take their business, their band to the next level. Mm-hmm. And that just that one thing will make them stand out a little bit. I'm going, okay, they're serious because I have, I'll give you an example. I was thinking about this today. I posted a story once by a band 
I took my time. I drove all across the city. I think I even bought them coffee and, and muffins, posted a, a story, an interview, never even got a thank you, not a peep. I even, I tried a couple times. I have no clue if they're still alive. That's not a band that I would ever do anything again for. But somebody that's obviously investing in a firm to kind of represent them to, I, I see that, okay, they're serious. And that right away stands out from the crowd. What are your thoughts? To start, I mean, we don't do this to be rich or make a lot of money because it, we don't make a lot of money. I mean, I, I essentially make enough money to live my life and continue to do this. But <laughs> I think everyone gets into it for different reasons. I got into it to help people, you know, find their story and get the word out about the work they're doing. And I agree with you that, you know, hiring uh, a publicist is an investment in your career. And it needs to be done at the right time, for sure. I have a client now, and she was doing her own PR for quite a while. And she's actually, like, been a part of the industry for a really long time. And she's like, I can't seem to get anywhere. People aren't taking me seriously. And I said, that's because you're calling about yourself. At least pretend to be your own publicist. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, if you have representation, that means you're a professional. Yeah. And I think the guy thought I was a writer and didn't understand what a publicist was. And that's very common. I mean, I'm a publicist, I find your story, I help you package it, I help you tell it. I find people for you to tell it to. I get you into situations where it's a podcast or, or you know, online video or a magazine, print magazine or a television show. I mean, earlier in my career, I had like a million artists on Jay Leno, Tonight Show. But, you know, things are not the same mm -hmm. on television anymore. It's, she knew if I was calling her, uh, and this is a good example, she knew if I was calling her that it was a serious band that one she needed to book. Yeah. Because I had booked Nickelback with her a bunch of times, and she was thrilled with them. And then I booked Slipknot with her. Now, she didn't even know till the day before they went on that they wore masks. <laughs> That was how much she trusted. Pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, she didn't even look at the picture of them, you know, and she that's how much you. she trusted me. Yeah, and I said, trust me, this is going to be number one or number two, and it wound up being number two because uh, I think Avril Lavigne beat them. But as it was, I said, this is going to chart. This is going to be top of the charts, and I knew it would be. So I think that there's a level of trust people have for professionals that have been doing this a long time. I mean, there are a lot of publicists that don't know anybody and just email spam everyone. Yeah. That's not a publicist. They call themselves a publicist. I, I get those and I rarely do any stories unless I really want to speak that artist because I knew them before, mm -hmm. not because they're showing me anything because I don't take the time to read them. Yeah. And, and I mean, why would you? You get a million a day, mm. uh, you know, and, and it's what makes you stand out. And sometimes what makes you stand out is who's sending the email. Yeah. I mean, I used to do crazy things like if I knew the journalist and I was sending him a particular email about a particular band, I would be like, you don't love me anymore on the subject. <laughs> and they'd laugh and they'd call me. 
you know, <laughs> I did that to somebody at Vice and he was dying laughing so much so that the person that sat next to him called me and was like, listen, this is from your email. <laughs> I, I truly believe a well-crafted subject line will make things stand out. And that is the same thing that goes across the board for everything that a band should do is you have to do something to stand out. You don't, it doesn't have to be rude or crude, but be different. Like, don't just... Understand who you're talking to yeah. because it's just as important for a publicist or somebody representing their own band to research the writer and who they are and what they like and who they've covered. Like, if I know that you're, you know, a big Our Lady Peace fan, I can well, say to you... I was in bed with Rain Maida and Chantal. Well, I was uh, Rain's band's publicist here. So that, that's basically when they had the uh, the, the love-in, the piece. Yeah, yeah. The, so I, I was uh, in the nice. room interview, interviewing them. In fact, uh, we spent almost uh, 45 minutes, almost an hour talking. It was, it was one of my favorite interviews because they're such a, a wonderful couple. Yeah, they're brilliant. You know, if I know that you're a fan, I will say something about that. Like, I loved your story on Rain Chantal, you know, and that would be my subject. Because I want you to know that I know who I'm talking to. Yeah. And that's, a that's something that a lot of people don't do, even people that call themselves publicists. Yeah. I do find that I respond, uh, again, I'm, I'm on the other side. I'm the writer, so you're the one that may be talking to me. I respond to those that actually will call me by name. It's like, oh, Randall, like, here's a band that I think you're going to like. Do you want to talk with them? And then they'll give me a little bit of their bio. And it's, so why do you like, why would you like them? Do but, they it's, but it's personal. Like, uh, yeah. like, again, I believe that you and a few others are at the top of your game and you really curate who you represent. So I can trust that when you send me somebody, I'm going to like them because you yeah. knew to send that person to me but another band you might send to another writer because they'll better represent the story. So, yeah, I, I mean, like you have to read, you got to read a lot to be good at this. You know, I mean, I, I also, I came up with a lot of people who are editors now, uh, just by nature of how old I am. So, um, and you know, coming up in New York, a lot of people that I know are editors at major publications now. You know, we all used to hang out back in the day and I kept in touch whether they had a good job or not such a good job. I have always been who I've always been, you know, and uh, I've always cared about what they were listening to because they were tastemakers and I wanted to know. I want to know what I should be listening to. So there's a lot that goes into it. But over the years, I mean, I was in the big, the biggest city for the music business and I was running around Manhattan like a crazy person when I was in my 20s with all the editors now, all the A&R guys now, you know, everybody in the industry that stuck around. Yeah. The labor of love, definitely. Yeah, it definitely has to be a labor of love. It's certainly not a money-making venture. Yeah, no, we, <laughs> even the, the, the blog I write for, we don't even have ads, just so it's 100% it's labor of love. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to pick up on, uh, and I want to wind this down because we've been talking so much, so much good, good information. Uh, we're talking about research and how mm -hmm. important it is to research. I mean, uh, to me, I spend 
probably more time researching than I do interviewing. Because if I don't go into an interview with some background knowledge, it's not going to be interesting. And on the flip side, they have to see how you interview people. Mm -hmm. They have to, either they have to, or I have to, at least. Uh, I have to know that this is a person that I can trust with my guys. Like, I won't let just anybody talk to Tommy Lee. Mm -hmm. They have to be a certain kind of interviewer. Same thing with Perry Farrell. Same thing with KK Downing. Like, it's not just anybody that gets to talk to them. I have to know, number one, this is not a gotcha interview. Yeah. You know, number two, it's somebody who knows how to write and knows what questions to ask. And if I'm, and I listen in on all the interviews, and I know journalists hate that. I know they do. But they, in the end, are glad that I'm there because I do air traffic control. They get the time they're supposed to get. You know, I know what information I need to send them to follow up. And sometimes the artist will forget to say something. But I am on those calls. And if I don't like what I'm hearing, I butt in. Call's over. That's protecting your artist, I find. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, it, I, I could get eight times more work done if I didn't sit on sit in on all the interviews. But I'm not going to let KK be trapped on an interview with a crazy person. Like, no way. That's why you're the ninja. You're in the background. Nobody sees you, but you step in right at the right time. You have to. You have to. I mean, like, otherwise, you know, if I'm just going to throw them to the wolves, like, they may as well go with somebody that costs an eighth of what I cost, you know? I mean, like, because people are like, oh, $200 a month. Like, that's what that person's. Well, that person is just sending out emails and they're not following up and they don't know these people that they're talking to. And, you know, and I try and keep it as low priced as possible because I'm in this because I love it. Not because, you know, I think I'm going to be any kind of millionaire. This is one way I like to look at it. This applies to many types of businesses, but it's not about the time you spend. A keynote speaker can make $10,000 for an hour keynote speech. But it's not about that one hour. It's about the life that you've had before that to get a topic to speak for an hour. So for you, I don't think it's about the half hour you spend on on an interview. I think it's what you're paying for or what somebody's paying you for mm-hmm. is those 25 years of connections of relationships of blood sweat and tears yeah to find the right people and it's not about how much time it took you to do it but how much time it would take them it might take them 2 years to book an interview that you can do in a 5 minute call that's or why they pay you they won't get a call back and i will exactly. you know it's no guarantee for either of us but at least i'll get feedback yeah. You know, and, and I think that's important. But yeah, I mean, independent artists, like you can do, you can do some PR yourself and just, you know, make yourself as interesting as possible. And I love working musicians. Working musicians understand the meaning of success is relative to who you are and where you're at and what you need to, to stay alive, you know? <laughs> And uh, I work with big bands. I work with little bands. The little bands are what really show the skill. Mm. Like big bands, you say no a lot. Not really hard. It's the building of an artist that's the most exciting to me and the hardest. So fascinating. Well, thank you so much. We had such a great conversation. We learned so much. We learned about, you know, what to do, what not to do. I think the biggest takeaway 
is to take a step back and really work on who you are and find that narrative, find that story and find, make yourself relevant in some sort of way. And I think everybody does have a story to tell. And if you don't, well, maybe Jamie can help you (laughs) or maybe somebody else can, uh, but definitely spend the time to find out what makes you unique. What's your story? I think that's the biggest takeaway I got from this among so many others. I thank you so much for your time, Jamie. Oh, thank you for having me. I, you know, there's so much more we could talk about. I would love to come back one day. All right. Well, <laughs> part two, I'm sure, I'm sure will be very valuable. Thank you so much. Yeah, take how, care. How can people find you before we uh, you go? Oh, God, I'm so bad at marketing myself. <laughs> um, for the win.media. Yeah, for the win.media. And if you're on my page and you want to know all the bands I've worked, because I did this project for my nephew so I could tell him everybody I've worked with, I listed every record I worked, and that's more than 300 thus far, and other clients that I've worked, and you can get there through my about page on my website. If- it, was like a, it was like an Excel sheet of, it was insane. I was reading through it and I go like, okay. Mm-hmm. And a lot of bands I yeah. used to know. Yeah, right. Uh, Jamie at forthewind.media is my email and, you know, inquire. You never know. I mean, I'm always down to answer a question or two if I have the time. But do your research. Don't go in there. Yeah. yeah, I mean. Respect yeah. Jamie's time. <laughs> I respect your time. Thank you so much, Jamie. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. If you enjoy the show, share it with other musicians. Help us spread the word. Theme song written and performed by Wolves at Midnight. Thanks for listening to the Rockstar Today podcast. Now go out there and rock your business like you rock the stage.